0: Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert layman Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. With us today are Jared Perkins and Austin Beiler from Major League University, a top-tier mindset and leadership company whose mission is to inspire student-athletes to become the best versions of themselves. Jared is a prospector and mental health advocate with connections to the Royals organization, and Austin is a former Diamondbacks farmhand working closely with Tomorrow Stars to set them on the right path in body, mind, and spirit. We are fortunate to have them along for the ride today, so without further ado, here is our conversation. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing tonight?
1: Doing well, man. Thanks for uh, having us on here, guys. We're, We're excited for it. JP, let's go, baby.
0: Yeah, excited to
1: be
2: here. Excited to chat about some baseball, some mental health. It'll be good.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we really appreciate you having a. a, a we really appreciate you being on, not you having us on, but maybe down the road sometime. Uh, Alexander, what's what's going on down there in DC, man? Uh,
3: not not too terribly much. Um, yeah, it's uh okay. The, I I don't know if y'all know uh, our guests here. Uh, the, every time. We uh, start an episode. We can't fight the urge, but to talk about the weather the entire time. Happens so every time. I feel like I need to talk about how it's about to get cold here, and I don't know how to feel about that. But I also feel a little bit weird about the fact that my first urge is just to start talking about weather with strangers with no other details about myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I, I mean, I'm in DC too, so we can chat about having the same type of weather.
1: Well,
0: there you go. There
1: you go. You got. You're you got that's a bond over. Arizona is pretty nice right now. If you guys want to be a little jealous, (laughs) eighty degrees today, sunshine, a slight breeze from the west is nice. (laughs) That's
0: perfect golf weather. It
3: is. Jealous about that, yeah.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Uh, All right. Well, we are incredibly lucky to have both of you on. I I think the perspective that you bring to the conversation about baseball is uh, unique and insightful, um, and it's going to give us kind of an angle that we've never had before. So um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, just kind of introduce us to your thing uh, that you're you're I mean, you're really both involved in, in this major league university. Um, I, I want you to talk about it. It's your passion. It's your baby. Uh, uh, gush about it a little bit.
1: Absolutely, man. So uh, Major League University, our whole goal is to help inspire athletes through the mental side of the game, um, equipping the teams and, and individuals with leadership skills, mental skills uh, and mindfulness and just helping them be the best that they can be character wise, being the best version of themselves. Um, it all kind of stemmed from our own personal experience, which we'll get into in a little bit. But we founded in 2018 really with no direction. The first direction was online lessons. Like, okay, yeah, let's just try out, let's be online, try it out, see what happens. <laughs> and then we're like, oh, I don't know about this online lesson thing. I think mental health is a little more important. Let's find a way to impact athletes since we're already in the space through mental health. So um, that's really kind of where we founded it on and, and where we started. And so now we get to go work with a bunch of teams and individuals as well, just peak performance wise, helping equip them to play present, to be the best that they can be on the field yeah
2: and for me i joined about a year ago austin and i knew each other from college i worked for the university of nevada baseball team while he was playing there and i worked full-time on healthcare policy and so this destigmatizing mental health has become one of my biggest passions and just the opportunity to work with austin and ray and all the great work that they're doing at major league university i mean it's it's a kind of like a dream come true because you you can see the on the ground impact that they're having on kids and coaches and athletes everywhere
0: that's great. It's uh, it's really important work. I think, um, the more people that are talking about it, the less that stigma holds people back. Um, even just, uh, just the other day, I mean, yesterday maybe was, uh, it's a football reference, but uh, Calvin Ridley stepping away from the game for a little bit to to attend to his mental health. I don't think 10 years ago you would see a player doing that. It, certainly not announced on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really think that's an important conversation and, and things like what you're doing get us there. It's, it's really good work.
3: It, what really surprised me also is like I, I went to his tweet. I, I'm not a football person, so that is not like a normal thing. Different it, kind of football. You know, yeah. I, I would expect that you'd see, you know, a bunch of like, people just being really terrible because that's what the internet's for. Um, And the response wasn't. I hate that I'm surprised by that still, but I'm glad that I'm getting to the point where, like, um, I I would say that soon that's probably going to be our default response for a lot of these sorts of things. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, good for him, good for his coaches, I guess, that that's kind of, like, where they're all at, where they can just be normal about that sort of what should
0: be normal choice. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, kudos to him. Kudos to everybody around him. And, and you're right. Kudos to the to the fan space that didn't turn this into some sort of, uh, macho competition about what, what strength is supposed to be and what it means to be a man and, and all the, all those toxic things that, that drive us all in, in the wrong directions. Uh, so yeah, again, thank you both for being here to talk about this, but more importantly, uh, not just being here, being present in the world to, to talk about these things, uh, because the more people that do that, the, the, uh, easier it is for other people to have those same conversations, uh, Jared. I want to kind of uh, come over and, and talk to you first, if you don't mind. Uh, if you could just give yeah. us your your background, your story, your experience uh, with baseball, uh, in, in all the different levels and roles that that you've uh, you've had over the years.
2: Yeah, so I I started working in baseball uh, when I was about thirteen years old. I was a bat boy for an independent league baseball team. Um, and then I transferred in my turn 16, I started working for the Kansas City Royals in the clubhouse. So I worked in the Arizona league, um through instructs things like that then minor league spring training um and that led to me becoming a student manager at the university uh, at arizona state university um where i did a lot more baseball operations type work so i did a lot of filming um a lot of more of the recruiting database and then moved over to the university of nevada reno where i became baseball operations assistant um and did helped out with travel helped out with um uh, recruiting database, doing a lot of the filming, pitch tracking behind home plate. And so that's kind of how my career in baseball went and then somehow shifted into working on healthcare policy. <laughs> and so here we are now. Um, but it's, it's amazing to see my two biggest passions, like kind of come together um, and be able to try to have some kind of impact on that. And I think that's, that's like, what's meant the most to me is just being able to have these impacts on athletes now um, use the the skills I learned in health policy to be able to tie that into baseball too.
0: Absolutely. Hey, I'll ask you a quick question before we get, uh, we get Austin's backstory here. What's your favorite memory from your time being, being close to behind the scenes? Uh, and it doesn't have to necessarily be the Royals, just, just anything where you got to kind of glimpse something that, that the rest of us don't get to see.
2: I think I was watching Salvador Perez when he was 17 years old. I was 16 working for the Royals. Like you watch that guy behind the dish, and he was just better than everybody else <laughs>
1: on
0: the field.
2: Um, and it's the guy was 17, he's still humongous, jacking home runs yeah. and look how quickly he rose through the system just being able to watch him kind of develop from that age to, cause I was with the Rose for about eight years. So I got to see a lot of it and just seeing him be able to develop that from that to what he is now, the clubhouse leader, the home run leader in baseball. I mean, he, he just, uh, he, he always stayed humble. That was a big thing. Yeah. He would talk to you in the clubhouse every time he was there, even when he was 17, he was learning English, but he was still always open cracking jokes and he never changed <laughs> his personality,
0: great. which was awesome. It's a great story. Um, yeah. Now, Austin, you you have your own set of experiences. You want to go ahead and tell us uh, your backstory a little bit, and then I'm going to ask you the same question. So, as you're as you're talking, maybe you can think about your favorite moment from uh, from your time uh, around uh, around ballparks.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, so, grew up Arizona, born and raised, uh, same as JP there, and. I actually had to play J.P.'s school a couple of times in high school, which is pretty fun. Uh, didn't even know him at the time until we got into college together. So I uh, grew up here and then went on to play at the University of Nevada uh, from 2011 to 15. And, and when I was there, I was drafted twice. Um, first year, my junior year was uh, ninth round to the Nationals. And then the next year, 11 to the D-backs and then got into professional baseball until about 2018. I uh, was re- released in the spring of 2018 independent ball for like a month and eh, didn't really like it and knew my passion was done with the game and, and found another way to go impact athletes outside of the game um, so that was kind of like the brief playing background there and then i think for a, a favorite moment man favorite moment so i think professional baseball gives you a lot of different moments and a lot of different looks um there's yeah. a couple one like the real moment was when i watched um, all of the the dudes in the big leagues and just their consistency and their approach and, and how they took their batting practice how they went after it and the things that they did but i think one of my favorite moments was one of my coaches was shelly duncan and he played for a while in the big leagues his brother did too i mean i think his dad might i don't know if he's still coaching or he was but pitching coach for the cardinals for a long time and this dude is full of energy i mean he is just ultimate sauce he's getting up and and, and all this other stuff and um he just gets up there just everything that he says is just hilarious right so he gives him this big old smile like like fired up right in your face and i remember we had all the minor leaguers back after the season to present champions and and kind of like hill hops won a couple of the affiliates won so they're giving out the awards and he stands up there and it's all serious everybody's like doing their serious talk serious talk and then he's supposed to be serious right and He starts off serious, starts giving us all fired up, and then he just says something. I don't even remember what he said, but he says it with this big old smile. He's like, embrace the suck. He's like, everything's sucks here and like just totally out of left field like <laughs> makes this crazy joke and everyone's like whoa what is happening in this room I mean, we got like the gm and all the big dogs and um, he just always found a way to put a light in the room so dude's awesome he's with the white Sox now as one of the bench coaches but awesome dude learned a lot from him and just the memories man the dominicans the the music in the clubhouse they're so much fun and um, those guys have a lot of flavor and a lot of fun to play with them
0: That's amazing. It's definitely a a perspective that most of us mere mortals uh, don't sniff. And my baseball career peaked around eighth grade, I think, so... (laughs) um that was the end of that and when i knew i wasn't going to be playing at fenway uh, uh alexander you want to jump in i know you had uh, had some thoughts that you wanted to to throw out there
3: what like my favorite baseball memory is that is that what you're fishing for here i, <laughs> I don't have Listen, some really if, important ones here if, to share if that
0: the... is what you would like to go with that is i'm actually hoping that's what you decide to talk about <laughs> you, know, you and me will talk about our 12 year old leagues <laughs> you know i'm really curious actually
3: like how many kids out there end up having some sort of like youth baseball experience that is shaped by someone who at least made their way into like the minors because like i had one coach at some point who had been like a sort of like a long time minor league uh pitcher who kind of just like found his way as a guy that just stuck around in triple a and you know as a result kind of like the way that he saw things and had the passion he had for things it was like very very easy to pick up and made me someone who's very uncoordinated whenever i was you know about 12 <laughs> years old um, at least want to keep going to practice which is good so I, I i really wonder to a great degree like how much people's opinions and like understanding of their experiences of kids get shaped by people who do have something that's more than just like you know, I was really good when I was 16 sort of level experience, um, that I think a lot of dads mm-hmm. that maybe that's like all they can really pass on, uh, which isn't a bad thing necessarily, but you
0: no, know. no, not at all. Yeah. My and my I, closest, uh, encounter was, uh, Brad Osmus was from mm-hmm. my hometown and, uh, he would come back okay. and run some hitting clinics in, in wintertime and stuff. That was pretty cool. But um, you never really, uh, coached, you know, just mm-hmm. show up and, and he was there. great guy, uh, super nice guy, but uh, at least to us, I don't know, we were paying. So <laughs> maybe that's why. Um, yeah, but you're right, Alexander. I think that there is a lot of that. Uh, Bobby Valentine lives in the area here. I know he's pretty connected to the local universities. So, um, yeah, I never really thought about it from that point of view, but I, I bet that a lot of, uh, minor league players do wind up having an impact on a lot of that youth stuff. And certainly that's the direction you guys are trying to go, uh, with, uh, with your major league university. Um, Austin, I, I would like to turn to you and, uh, I'm going to give you the floor to kind of tell your story because I think that you had an experience, uh, it, obviously within the confines of baseball, but that kind of goes in a different direction and brings us, uh, together with the idea of the mental health. And, um, you know, uh, some of the questions that I've had just kind of bouncing around in my head, maybe they come up in your story, maybe they don't, but, you know, I, I feel like the financial pressure on minor leaguers, um, is intense that the, the pressure to perform, uh, and, and just go out there and do almost, almost like commoditizing human beings rather than looking at them as people who are trying to do something. Um, you know, and, and again, not to say anything about the specific coaches or players you are working with, but just the system itself really seems like it's set up to, to grind those minor leaguers. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, again, I want to give you the opportunity to tell your story in your words. It's, it's not anybody else's story to tell. Um, but those are the kinds of things I think about, you know, if somebody gets injured in the minors, what's the pressure like? Um, what happens if uh, if somebody tests positive for a, a banned substance and, and how that's different from major leagues and, and minor leagues and all that. So... Um, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to give you the floor and I'm going to stop talking and uh, and let you tell your story.
1: Absolutely, man. So it all kind of started back in 2000. I think it was 2012 with the University of Nevada. And so it was my sophomore season. We're about halfway through. We're almost into April. So I'd say three to four weeks left of the season. And I get hurt. I have the shooting pain down my left leg. I'm wondering, like, where the heck did it even come from? There was no like cause to the injury, right? It just started shooting pain. So what the heck's going on? So I got a couple of MRIs and didn't know what was happening. Still, I almost had hip surgery. Thankfully, I didn't have that hip surgery. But oh, I was two days away from having hip surgery, and then I got an MRI, like just a, a second opinion, and they found something else. There's a degenerative disc in my lower back, and so uh, I, my ego creeps in. Right, I'm 19 years old. I'm hitting 350. Okay. I'm, I'm like top of the league in homers. I'm like, man, I'm one year away from being drafted. If I if I stay healthy this year. I'm going to Team USA. If that doesn't work out, I'm going to the Cape Cod League. Like I can't miss this season. Yeah. Right? You can't miss it. So I have a couple of choices to make. And there was a teammate on the team who was previously hurt with a shoulder injury. And so I was using like ibuprofen and Advils and all this other stuff to try and mask out the pain. And it did nothing. It wasn't working. And so he finally said, look, dude, I just had shoulder surgery. I have some Norcos. Um, you should try one. Try them before you go play. I'm like, yeah. Sure, nothing else working. Let me try it out. Yeah, and I took yeah. one, I went two for four, and I was moving at third base again. And I was like, Man, I feel like freaking Zeus! Like, this is awesome. Like, can I have another one? <laughs> can I have another one? Right? So, it became this pregame ritual to play through this pain. And eventually, the pain got so great that I wasn't able to play and finish out the season for the last couple weeks. But the habit never left. And so, um, from that moment on, I started to feel like I needed to use. Prescription medication to mask physical pain at the time to go out there and play. And so I go through the summer, come back the next year, I hang around the same people who are doing the same things. The addiction grows and grows and grows. I still have success though in in the season, right? I was drafted. I'm all American, all this cool stuff that's happening on the field. Go back to school and I'm like, all right, senior year, done with it. Well, that lasted about a week and the addiction was so. strong that I couldn't stop because I withdrawals if I stopped that it was just easier to keep using it than stop using it and so the physical pain turned to this mental turmoil of the anxiety the depression and the worry of showing up performing our team had a lot of pressure on us because we were going to be good and we had a great coaching staff now at LSU for the most part and we had this awesome opportunity ahead of us and so I just kept using them I was like man this will stop eventually and so we get through that spring season in 15 I go into professional baseball and i told myself i'm done right i get drafted by the diamondbacks hometown squad let's go we're all fired up and celebrating back home and um, i go out in that summer and i i crushed it right i had freaking led the league at homers i was like all all-star we won the championship i'm a top 20 prospect i'm like man i'm one step away from the big leagues let's freaking go and so i get invited back to instructs and about halfway through i remember coming back from the reds complex um, I was four for four and I made the game ending air at first base. <laughs> I missed a ball and my coach got off me and we lost the instructs game and he seemed like it was the end of the world. And I'm like, dude, we got two weeks left and I get to be on vacation for a little. And uh, yeah. I get back in and we're all walking into the clubhouse. And, and as we all do, it's like single file lines, kind of creepy, but it's all like the same deal, right? And the third base coach for the D-backs and at the time was the info coordinator is sitting at the door. He's giving everybody a nux, just like he does every day saying, Hey, good job today. Go get in tomorrow. Get some rest, blah, blah, blah. Take care of yourself. And he stops with me and he goes, Byler, he pulls his glasses. does, was like, Byler, you got to come to my office for a second. I need to speak with you. And so at this point, I'm like, this is either really good or this is really bad, right? It's like your heart drops. It's like, man, what did I do? So I go into his office, the director of scouting, Mike Bell, is sitting there right across from me. Um, so they're both sitting there in the room and they look by there. We're sorry to inform you, but you failed a drug test. You're going to miss the first 50 games of next season you're gonna miss the first wow. 50 games and so that's a third of the minor league season they get 140 yeah. and I'm sitting here like dude I gotta call my my mom my dad my coaches that believe in me all these all my friends and answer all these questions and then they go oh by the way next Friday be ready because there's going to be a nasty article written about you you're going to get a lot of questions getting asked to you about this I'm like dude wow. what do I do and so yeah that moment just plummeted, man. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle myself. Um, My identity was totally stripped. It was always found in baseball. Then I had that shame and that guilt that I didn't know how to process through. And a lot of the emotions that start to creep in as a human being and plus the added pressure of performing. So um, I go through that experience, man. I kept masking with with other prescription medications after this. And um, once that happened, it was just this crazy uh, turmoil. So in 2018 is when I'm a really kind of, snapped out of it and and found a really good mentor here with the fellowship of christian athletes locally in arizona who just kind of put me on the right page going into that spring season and um, my life started to get a little bit better from there but it was because of those decisions the choices the habits that i was making that stuck with me and eventually caught up to me after those five years Mm -hmm. and um, i'll never forget that man but as a minor leaguer you go through a lot of different uh, stressful situations you feel like sometimes you're left on this island. Um, not a lot of the hotels are very nice, right? You got bed bugs. You have blood on yeah. towels. You have—I mean, one of the hotels we had blood on the towel. We're like, well, dude, what are we doing? It's Clinton, Iowa. It smells like cow poo, and we got blood on our towels, <laughs> and people are stealing stuff from our from our guys. Like, what is happening here? So you go through all these things, but then you're like a melting pot. So I'm a senior sign. And I got decent money for a senior sign, but I'm still a senior sign. Then you have first rounder who's 18 years old. Then you have a million dollar Cuban who got signed from the island. Right. And you got these dudes that are just at all different levels with financial investments and you got to find a way to perform. And then, oh, by the way, Tony La Russa is there, looking over your shoulder during your batting practice, evaluating you. And it's like, man, like if I don't perform, I don't play. If I don't play, I don't get paid. If I don't get paid, which you don't get paid, you don't have a career. My career's over. So it's this massive identity crisis that goes on in sports, and a lot of athletes struggle with this. Now they don't show it or they don't admit it, like Calvin right. Ridley did, which I applaud that massively, or Marcus Stroman, Dancy Swanson, some guys who are really big on this, but. When this happens, right, it's like you have two choices, you either sink or swim. And for me, it was like, I mean, I just kept sinking. I couldn't handle that pressure. I lost my routines and really started to kind of fail under that. So um it's nerve-wracking, man. And then you talk about the entry piece too, and then I'll shift it back is you get hurt and you're like, shoot, if I don't get healthy, I don't play. And if I don't play, There's only a limited amount of roster spots. And now today with less draft picks and all this stuff with COVID, there's just a limited amount of supply for these guys to go in, but there's this big demand. And it's like, how do you step in and and go perform if you're not mentally clear and focused, let alone even ready yourself, right? So I'm a big preacher on take care of yourself, control yourself before you control your performance, Um, be in control of yourself and your emotions as a human being. And if you take care of you, your performance will take care of itself.
0: That's amazing. I, and thank you so much for being willing to share that story that, that it takes a lot of vulnerability and it's not an easy thing to do. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's an amazing opportunity for other people who are going through those kinds of things to to try and, and latch on to that story and, and, you know, see the light at the end of the tunnel, maybe, or, you know, Hey, when I get to my fork in the road, um, I, I now have, that I've sort of heard this story, maybe, you know, uh, it's easier for them to pick a different path. So that's, that's really brave, man. I appreciate that so much and, and coming on and sharing that with us. Um, Jared, I'm going to ask you a question. You've heard your, your buddy's story. Um, I'm sure that's not the first time. How do you guys at major league university use that to help, uh, prepare the next generation of minor leaguers?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, Austin can probably dive into this a little bit too more, but I think the one thing that's huge about that story that can have impact on kids is if someone's going through that, they know they're not alone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happens a lot. Um, even in young people, you see it a lot with this, during the pandemic with the suicide rating going up in high school kids. Yeah. The, there's this tendency to feel that you're alone and no one's going through the same situation as you. And just having a person that's able to reach out And is able to kind of be that voice um, and let them know that they're not alone that they all of a sudden feel like okay no i i can get through this this is something that emotions are temporary i can power through and push through um i think that's the number one thing um, awesome. I don't know how you want to talk about how kind of you use it for development and things like that. Yeah, but. you're
1: right, dude. I mean, it's dude, we, we all are subject. We can all fall victim to it, no matter what we do. And something was very powerful. Yeah. Hannah Houston, she's one of the mental skills coordinators for the Philly. She said something really cool on our podcast about a year ago, maybe year and a half, during COVID. And she said, look, we're all performers. You host a podcast, you're a performer, right? You're you're a teacher. You got (laughs) to perform and get these kids engaged. You're a firefighter, a doctor. You got to perform under pressure. So everybody's a performer. And at Major League University, we're we do camps, right? We do baseball camps and we use the baseball camp, softball camp to impact the mind and, and they get in with the skills, right? That might be what they think, but then we use it to impact them mentally and emotionally to help them perform with a lot of mental skills. I'm big on the breathing and visualization. And then we work with a lot of different college and high school uh, slash travel ball organizations where we will meet with them either once a week, once every other week, once a month, even just a one-off occasion where I can go in and share my story and then give them some uh, some skills and tools. Schools. And so we'll go out and, and work with these programs. And the biggest things that I'm seeing with these programs is confidence at all levels, right? From Division One professional athlete down to 13U travel ball, right? Confidence is yeah. big, and yeah. then identity piece. Um, we work with the team locally in Arizona, a junior college, and um, I, I shared my story the first day, and you don't know how your words affect someone all the time, right? You just kind of go right. through it. You've done it a lot, and like four or five kids came up to me like, "Dude, identity." identity, like my identity, I just thought of it. Like my whole life, I've only been a baseball player. I don't even know who else mm-hmm. I am. Like, dude, you're so much more than just a baseball player. You're a human being and you're alive. You have a beautiful life ahead of you. So we go in and we'll work with teams through peak performance. And like I said earlier, mental training and leadership development, getting them open and vulnerable, man, sharing with each other, connecting with each other and just creating an inclusive environment for athletes to thrive in. So when they go out on the field, Less distraction, more clarity, less clutter, more focus. And they can go out there and be the person and the athlete that they truly can be without all the things mentally that hold back our physical skills. So that's kind of how we we adapt it. And then we'll do some private coaching too, some one-on-one um, with specific athletes as well.
2: I think that that whole mindset thing is key, even in real life. Whether you're Mm -hmm. an athlete or not, you're trying to perform in your jobs on a daily basis. If you constantly think I'm going to fail or I'm not I'm not smart enough to do this assignment, then you're probably going to be stuck in those thoughts, and it's going to be a lot harder to perform on those assignments. And the same thing goes to identity. A lot of people put their identity to their job. So if they lose their job or they Aren't successful at their job. All of a sudden, they think, okay, so what's my self worth? Yep. Like, what, what, what? Like, who am I if I'm not good at my job? So when they get that negative feedback from a boss or something like that, I mean, that's the, the normal everyday humans going through that same exact thing. And it might not be at the same extent, at the same level as an athlete who's having to perform every single day, but it's it's still there for normal humans on a daily basis.
0: No. Yeah, hundred percent.
3: One of the things that I feel like has kind of struck me over the past. Uh, year or so reporting about uh kind of like people's experiences in the minor leagues pay particular is just uh really strikes me is like that cannot be the sort of thing that gets you to consistently be in like a regular mindset if you're worried about you know where you're staying what you're eating how you're paying your bills so i'm kind of curious as you guys interact with um people who are kind of getting closer to making some of those same steps like what sorts of things you're typically like hearing from people that they're worried about and like how a lot of like how you help people through a lot of those struggles
1: that's really good. Uh, you talk about the the financial side. Well, the financial side affects every side because if I'm not, I'm yeah, yeah, frigging, yep. and, and I'm in California for two of those years that I was playing, and obviously the tax laws there are just out of this roof. So whatever you're getting salary wise is cut in half in, immediately, and you're like, dude, what? Yeah. Like, can we get like some sort of yeah. a bonus or a stipend? So uh, you talk about that. So think about the organizations, right? And, and now some organizations do an incredible job. The Dodgers, I mean, they feed their dudes all organic food. It's like massive spread. But I mean, they got the money. The Yankees, same thing. The Diamondbacks were amazing. They're really, really good. I was very blessed to be with them. But you have organizations or coaches in these organizations who preach about take care of your body, take care of your rest, get the right nutrients, eat the right foods but yet on the spread tables are all these processed foods and things that aren't going to help you perform with refined sugars, with things that aren't actually healthy for you. I'm like, dude, what are yeah. we doing here? So if you want us to be these products, I think of us as like gladiators, right? If you think about like Roman times and the gladiators go in now that's life or death, right? We're not life or death, but we're performing on a, a future, on a people in a crowd. And so we got to take care of our bodies. Well, my number one meal was Sonic. I love Sonic blast. So I always got a large (laughs) Sonic blast, a couple tater tots, right? Some French toast sticks and a burrito. And you're going home three out of the five nights a week. And then on the weekend, who knows where you're going or what you're doing on these little small towns and places. And there's just a lot that goes into it. So I think equipping athletes to be ready for it. I, I know no matter what you say, it's hard until you get there, but the sleep, some of these beds are just ridiculous. And I mean, that's the nitty gritty of it. Some places are amazing, but at those tough times and in those tough moments, right, how can you succeed and find success? So when I was with the Diamondbacks, the first year we were in Missoula, Montana, and uh, we had eight dudes living in a two bedroom apartment because we couldn't afford anything. And now the the first rounders, they can go get their own deal because they got some signing bonus to spend. But we were eight dudes, six of us senior signs, two other college dudes, and we're like, next to each other in the living room why there's no no furniture or anything because you can't why would you buy anything for two months yeah and we have three blow-up mattresses we're sleeping on blow-up mattresses for a 50-something game season plus playoffs and eating horrible food walking and riding a bike to the field nobody had a car and by the way you go downtown you go eat all this nasty food and then you just go out there and you're filling your body with bad things so something i I really challenge athletes with who are getting ready for this level um, especially the college athletes is dude Find a process that works for you. Make sure that you set the time and focus aside to do things that are healthier. To make a better choice for you, whether it's the water intake, less partying and distractions with women and, and drugs and alcohol and things that are going to come your way, um, right away, mm-hmm. right anywhere you go, stay away from those. And find people that you can hold yourself accountable with, who are going to be good dudes, who are doing things the right way, and who can help keep you safe and healthy. Because it only takes one tough decision to mark you off a list and to get you cut. And, and honestly. In your own whole life too, not only career, but life. So um, a lot of things that go into it, but that financial pressure, man, is tough because you know you're not getting paid. You know you're just as good as a lot of those people who are getting paid a lot of money. And it just comes down to opportunity sometimes and what organization you're in, who, what's the right fit, and, and is there a spot open at that next, uh, at your position at that next level?
0: All right. Well, Austin, I know that your time is limited. You're in high demand. Um, and so we've, uh, we've reached the point where we have to unfortunately let you go so you can go do the stuff that pays your bills. Um, and, uh, Jared, you're going to stick around and we're going to shift the conversation into talking a little bit more of the, the fantasy side of things and prospects. Um, my hope though, is that we can get uh, all of us back in a room, a room. I've got air quotes for those of you at home who can't see me, um, uh, back into a room real soon and, and carry on this conversation. Uh, And and because again, I think it's just a a really, really important one. I thank you so much before we do part ways though here, uh, plug your, your stuff, tell people where they can find you and, and, and everything. And we'll have Jared do the same thing at the end. Uh, but let, let everybody know where they can find everything that you're doing.
1: Yeah. Well, first and foremost, you guys are awesome, man. This was so easy and it already took 40 minutes. So (laughs) thank you for what you're doing, man, (laughs) to be able to open and be spreading the word about this type of stuff. It's important Um, for us. You can find us Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, anywhere at Major League University. Uh, Twitter's a little different. It's Major University. I don't know why, but they blocked the league. Um, Maybe they're (laughs) jealous. I don't know. So we got to get that fixed eventually when we get that blue check. But um, Major League University on all platforms, MajorLeagueUniversity.com. You can find our podcast on our website as well as on YouTube, Champions School. If you just type in Major League University, you can find it. And then um, that podcast is on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple. All, all platforms as well. And then um, other than that, man, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for what you do. JP, you're the man. Love the hat. Let's go. We're twinning today. Uh, this is great, man. This is cool. So have a have a blessed night, guys.
0: Thank you so much for being on. And uh, we'll be back with Jared right after a few words. and we are back. Uh, so Jared, uh, not only do you work really uh, closely with uh, with Austin there, at major league university, you also do some work in fantasy. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that too?
2: Yeah. So I uh, currently write with the Dynasty Guru and do a lot of what he's called Jared Jet Setter. So I try to find two kind of under the radar prospects who might have a chance to kind of rise up uh, uh, prospect boards. Um, then I was doing high A central coverage for Prospects 1500. So just kind of covering the top prospects in that uh region is uh in that region as well um so i've been doing that for a little bit just writing here and there uh we're doing a lot of royals coverage for royals farm report so um my, it's probably where my in-depth analysis becomes because i know the royal system pretty well
3: mm-hmm. and so i've done a lot of focusing on royals prospects
0: no that's fine. fantastic
3: i i know the royals have kind of as an organization to kind of spin out of what we have been talking about uh trying to it seems develop a little bit of a better reputation in terms of like how they've been treating uh their players I, I know that they have also like since they've been bought a couple years ago it seems like they' have been a little bit more uh, aggressive in terms of you know signing guys to like build out a competitive major league roster so I don't know has that been interesting kind of covering them from like the I you don't know like the small side of the farm I guess I don't even know I would say that that's yeah. that's wrong but so the Royals, <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah the Royals have done a very good job um, at taking care of their players. That's something that they've always been really good at. They just built a brand new facility in surprise. that's going to house, it's like condos, full-on condos for all the minor leaguers. Um, but they have been no- well known for uh, treating their players very well. I think in the 2020 draft during the COVID year, they signed the most undrafted um, free agents. And the, I think they had a bit of top, Four out of the five ranked um, undrafted free agent signs like Tucker Bradley, um, a, a couple other guys, and they were able to get them because they have this reputation of treating their players so well, um, not just, like, not just um, helping them like advance and develop in their careers, but they treat them like normal human yeah. beings. And they, they work on, de- they did a lot of classes where they worked on developing players as Uh, humans Mm. not necessarily just the the stats Um, they'd have like these kind of performance classes to help them with everyday life things whether it was finances whether it was uh, just being a good person those kind of things
0: that's really great from an organizational standpoint um so i I do think that's a nice transition from what we were talking about alexander well done uh kudos (laughs) to to you on that one i try um so one of the focus focuses focus foci foci is that okay the foci okay Okay. uh is that an sat word alexander
3: um i'll pass on that one i I haven't seen any recent (laughs) sats um okay
0: um is to to really look at maybe the I don't know the best way to say this. When I say lower end prospects, it sounds like those that aren't going to make it. Uh, what I mean is the really young, younger prospects, the, the yeah. 17, 18 year olds that, uh, that Austin was talking about those a high, a maybe brandy new uh, double a guys Uh, Because, you know, we've talked to Eric Cross and and we've had some uh, of the guys who the guy who does a pars list on. and, And one of the things that they both talked about is is it's very hard to take like a Jason Dominguez who barely can drive in certain states. Uh, and try and put them up against you know, Bobby Witt Jr., who's you know, about to make it into the bigs. And, and how do you rank those two people when you're doing these prospect lists? And so from your point of view, really being close to baseball in unique ways um, and also having the knowledge that you have about the younger guys and especially those high A players – You know how how do we value them? How do we look at them and try and understand what they may become or what their skill sets might be? How what's what's like important information? What's white noise? What's kind of the process there for understanding those 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 much younger players?
2: I think the biggest thing is patience when you're looking (laughs) at those younger players because you you're taking a 16 or 17 year old. They're either starting in the DSL or they come over stateside at 18 and. I think as a human being, think about when you were 18, and mm-hmm. how you acted and how you adjusted to things. And a lot of the kids who were coming over from the Latin America countries, they're, they're getting pulled away from their families right, for months. Right. And so this is their first time pro- probably outside of the country, and they're having to adjust to a whole entire new lifestyle as well. And so I think you have to uh, to think about that when it comes to development of a player. So guys like Jason and things like they're probably first time to the states was when they got to uh, Instructs or to wherever they were assigned mm-hmm. um, for their first year. And like you said, they're potentially going against college guys because there's sometimes college guys in the AZL when they first get drafted. Um, and it's I think it's a lot harder to judge these guys off of a small sample size or sure. uh, one sure. year. Because um, I think, I look at Hebert Perez, I think a lot of people got a little bit down on him when he got called up to low A. But he was 19, <laughs> 18, 19 years old in Lowe, and they're like Oh, the strikeout rates too high. And, but the kid's 19, right, right. and he's facing higher competition. A lot of these guys have been in college, have been playing for years. Not like he hasn't been playing for years, but this is the first time he's facing good pitching every
3: single day.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
3: Now, what strikes me about that, though, is you, know, like, you bring up a lot of the reasons why, you know, we do need to have patience for a lot of these kids, but I also know that when you're in those situations, like when people are standing out, then it's really easy to kind of like write a lot of that off as potentially a white noise or, you know, it might just be that a guy has had the benefit of facing better high school or college competition. So I it's really hard in a lot of cases when I talk to people to get a good pulse on what makes someone special at that age yeah. so like what is it that you're often finding people can learn and will learn at those sorts of ages and what are some of the stuff that kind of more often stands out is like a true signifier that someone's special
2: yeah i think the one guy i looked at um this year was yuri perez and he was 18 in high a and dominating people and i think the things that stuck out most to me is he had a good sense of his command and control at 18 hmm. so it wasn't like he had these high walk rates And he was pounding the strike zone. He had a good feel for the strike zone. And you think about a kid like that, as he develops, he's going to get better and get better feel and better command for the strike zone as he moves up levels. And so that's the thing I, I kind of looked at when I saw him, I was like, but this kid's he's elite and above and he's dominating a pretty good high A Mm -hmm. league that had really good prospect bats in it, like Jordan Walker um, and guys like that. And I think Joey Weimer and Felix Valerio, they were all in there as well. And it's, I think when you look at that from a pitching standpoint, there's not a lot of even older guys who were doing that <laughs> in that league. So I think that was the main thing that, that was one of the things that really stuck out to me.
0: So we look at, at uh, these guys that come up and they're supposed to be the next big thing, like a, a Kalnick or, or, you know, we've got a lot of helium on Bobby Witt and you know, for good reason, uh, you know, what he's doing is, is amazing. Uh, and sometimes they struggle and, and sometimes they don't. And then sometimes Cedric Mullins shows up and nobody saw it coming. Uh, so yeah. like, talk to me a little bit about sort of the Cedric Mullen story. Like how does somebody who maybe has gone through the system being good enough to keep making it suddenly just show up out of nowhere? It's kind of the, the flip side, I guess, to what we're talking about here. But, um, you know, he obviously went through systems and was rated as, as he was rated and then outperformed all of those projections. So how did, how does that sort of come about?
2: I think sometimes it's hard to even t- difficult to figure out, but I, it could be just a slight adjustment changing like a hitch and a swing. Um, all and it could be just related to experience. I mean, you look at a guy like Lucas Julie though, it took him a while to kind of get developed yeah. um, and figure out how to pitch in the big leagues. Cause you're going from facing maybe one or two top prospects in AAA to facing guys who are playing in the big leagues and are good enough to hit in the big leagues every single sure. day. I mean, imagine being a pitcher facing the Dodgers lineup versus the Triple A. <laughs> yeah, a's. right. Right. So I think a lot of it probably comes down to experience, figuring out like what can what were you able to get away with before that you now all of a sudden can't get away with as a pitcher in the big leagues? Um, what as a hitter, kind of what mistakes um that pitchers made before that they aren't making now that you may have to make these adjustments and be prepared for. So I think a lot of it comes down to that. And Jared Kalanick, I mean you saw he made adjustments late in the season and started to get mm-hmm. better as he started to figure out pitching. And so I think that's one of the, the big things um, for guys like Cedric Mullins and like Whit Merrifield, who all of a sudden came out of nowhere and became one of the top players in the league. Though It's a lot tougher. I think for some of them, they just needed. So I think Merrifield's example is a little bit different than Cedric Mullins because Merrifield just needed an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think he was kind of blocked um, from that opportunity. And he was kind of playing on a sparse basis and then as soon as he got that opportunity he just ran yeah. with it and became one of the better hitters um Patrick Mullins mullen seemed to get the opportunity from the beginning and i think he struggled a little bit when he first came up and then this year he just kind of took yeah. off and it could have been he worked on something in the off season or during the COVID year and found out that this is making him pick up pitches better and read pitches better and that's that could have been the only adjustment and i think sometimes it's hard to to pick up on those things when scouting, because there's a human element that always goes with it, and someone could learn something in the offseason in the cages that no one knows about, and all of a sudden they figure
3: it out.
0: Yeah, definitely.
3: I I feel like there's just like so many different things that you know people can learn in an offseason, which is also makes like this yeah. period for us really interesting. You know, it's like you don't know which guys are just going to suddenly add enough. You know, like muscle mass to like be a genuine (laughs) consistent threat or anything like that it's it's quite hard to predict but like yeah uh, i i do find that like it seems like over and over the guys who are making a lot of these adjustments we get surprised by do seem like they tend to come from a couple different you know like clubs a little more often so i don't know do you i'm not going to try to ask the mean version of this where i ask you which teams you don't trust to turn (laughs) their prospects into like elite bats but like do, do you have any sort of like acknowledged biases about which clubs you tend to believe in their ability to uh turn these like low a standouts into big league stars I, I mean, I look at, so there's certain teams
2: that stick out to me when it comes to pitching Cleveland and Tampa and Miami, those are the three organizations. Like you see a pitching prospect there, you're like, yeah, there's a good <laughs> chance they're going to become very good. I don't know what they do differently than other organizations, but they have a knack of developing pitchers. Um, and you look at it with every person at the the Cleveland, I guess, Guardians now yeah. <laughs> draft, yeah. um, they every single guy turns to be some kind of standout and it's Aaron Zavalli came out of nowhere, basically. McKenzie. Um, Yeah. McKenzie, Shane Bieber wasn't even really a highly rated right. prospect. Like, he wasn't a top 10 or a top 15 guy. Um, And now they have Logan Allen and they have Xavier Curry and they have Peyton Battenfield who they got from Tampa. So that guy's just been through <laughs> two organizations that are one of the top. Uh And it's, I think that those organizations, one, they just know what they're doing. They have a great development department and um, and they, they probably just have the right pieces in place that know
3: how to develop these guys um, where some teams maybe haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, I, I do remember, uh, I think it was, you know, Sarah's put out an interesting piece the other day from uh, The Athletic about how it seems like the Dodgers have figured out This one type of uh, slider that doesn't move quite in the way that we're used to sliders moving that they've been able to successfully teach Mm. guys in the past year and they've had several people show up all of a sudden throwing this one particular pitch with like pretty good immediate impact uh, to their overall game so you know obviously there are plenty of signs that there are organizational like decisions that clubs are trying to make in terms of like pitch design in terms of types of guys maybe they feel like they can develop but you know it's always interesting to me you know to kind of just check in on on those sorts of things that i wouldn't be looking for because like why would i pay attention to like pitch types whenever i could just pay attention to you know other numbers that are easier
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah, that sort of thing me. I'm sorry, Jared. I, I was just going to say that, oh, no, that no, strikes no, me as, is so interesting. There's so much like R and D that's done in these clubs. Mm-hmm. Right. And how many years is it going to take for that slider, the mystery of that slider to, to be unleashed on the league, right? A couple of guys leave the organization yeah. and suddenly everybody's got that information. It just, it's amazing. It's, it's like a, not to, no pun really intended, but it's like an arms race between these teams to have this new thing and, and how, how much, mileage do they really get out of it? You know, it's probably only a season or two. It's it's interesting to me. Um yeah. Go ahead.
2: I was gonna say and just looking at the Kansas City Royals are another great example. They had no hitting prospects basically everybody gave up on Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, and they hired Drew Saylor, who's become like the minor league hitting coordinator, and he's been working with these guys. And now every, it seems like every bat for the Royals prospects are starting to take off. The guys like Michael Massey and Tucker Bradley are still underrated, but they're, they're starting to move their way up ranks and they're kind of coming out of nowhere. And I think a lot of it has to do with the hiring of Drew Saylor and some of those things that he's been implementing.
0: Yeah. I mean, you don't hear nearly as much conversation about the coaching staff or the, the, you know, the guy who's in charge of the program, the pitching program, the, the health and nutrition people, but you know they are human beings with expertise, and, yeah. and and they're in good positions. You you see see personnel moves, and, and suddenly you think like, where's this team good out of nowhere? San Francisco Giants, right? I mean, Alexander, we were talking about that off air a little bit about you know your theory that maybe the San Francisco Giants were were just a really good team that needed a good coach, <laughs> uh, and and Many were being good held coaches, back. I would <laughs> right? So it's. It, I think it's so easy for us to, to look at these players as like these pieces that are on our phones and scoring us points or getting us uh, mm-hmm. stats and forget, you know, what we were talking about in the first half, that every single one of them is a human being with a story and, and emotions and feelings and uh, expertise and skill sets. And that includes the people that we're not seeing on, on ESPN all the time, too. Um, we uh yeah really should move our conversation to talking about specific players before we run out of time to talk about specific players. Uh, you've mentioned a couple of the names that we have here in our, our notes, our show notes, uh, but I want to kind of give you the floor to, to go with whatever. I put a couple of names in. You have your names. You can go in any direction <laughs> you want, but maybe like try and use these players as as like a case study for how you go about your process and and uh you know minor league stats are a lot harder to get your hands on what are the things that you look for with these guys what makes you feel good or confident about them um and, and you can pick your poison with whatever with whatever name you'd like
2: yeah I think uh the first one I'll mention is probably Carter Henson who was the third rounder for the Royals. Um he so he kind of came out of the scene as soon as he got to the ACL. I think the first 10 games he was hitting 455. Um, he showed great patience at the plate walking ten times in nineteen games. I mean, it's a small sample size, but those are the kind of things you want to see as soon as you yeah. see a guy get to the to the professional baseball. Yeah. Um, and so he's kind of he was considered one of the top high school catchers in the draft. um, but there's there's some questions about whether he can catch, but he was one of the best peer hitting ones. And I think there was some questions about his hit tool. and but ever since he made that small sample size, um every he, the hit tool is better than what was advertised at least so mm-hmm. far um and so people are taking that and i think he from what i've been reading in instructs he's been doing the same thing in instructs so that's a good sign too because he's going up against another um some more top prospects that the royals have and things like that so that those are the kind of things that you want to see is the, the strikeout rate being down and the walk
3: rate being up I, I typically don't find a whole lot of uh bad things happen when uh, you know, strike out rake down, walk rate right up <laughs> but you know, it, it's still like it's so hard I feel like to kind of like really put a lot of those things into context and really see the the yeah. growth over time, you know. It's easy to kind of see those happen at the major league level when you can see and it's like oh there there's no other choices being made that are making this happen, you know. If someone's just completely selling out to not strike out um and Bad things can happen there. It's uh, so it's good to make sure there's some other eyes on everything else that's happening, and get to validate that someone really is doing something effective. Yeah,
0: Why don't you? Uh, grab another name off this list here and and uh and tell another story.
3: Yeah, do you have any like flags you really got to plant about a guy that you're just absolutely yeah, sold right. on? Because that that's that's really what I want to know. So I want to know like who you're ready to be super yeah. wrong about, just in case like that ten percent chance <laughs> yeah. that you're super right.
2: Yeah, I mean, in the I'm trying to think back to the, the 2021 draft. Um, I think the the one guy that I've been super sold on, he's a little bit older, but um, it was Joey Weimer who came into high A and just absolutely started mashing every baseball that was thrown his way. I think he's about 22, so he's not too much Ancient. older. Ancient, um, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People were down on his hit tool, but he made an adjustment to his swing from the reports that I was reading, and he's cut down significantly on the strikeouts. He's become more patient at the plate. He's got speed, so I think he stole over 30 bags this year or something, and he's got power, and hit close to 30 home runs. Um, and he just came into the Arizona Fall League now, and his exit lows have been off the charts in the Arizona Fall League, so now he's just taking off. He went from not even a top 100 prospect before he joined the Fall League, I think, and now he's definitely cracking everybody's top 100 at this point. And so that's the guy I'm just riding the hype train. And everybody apparently loves his hair. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is there a hair tool? So the hair game apparently 80 like, grade hair. Like, uh, 80 grade. Yeah. <laughs>
3: God, How much do you love like just the availability of all the good data for AFL? Like it seems like just a, a gift and like it, it it's almost like disappointing that we don't hear more about it and it's not marketed better or that more of these games are not like broadcast national audiences because it seems like such like a a thing that like, you know this is like the big moment for people who don't normally watch baseball to get excited about baseball i, I would think you know throw on some like middle yeah. of the day espn action and get some people like you know jazzed about some of that stuff before they turn on the world series but so i mean i'm sure people like you are doing that anyway so i don't know how many games have you been catching yeah. right?
2: I, so when I was younger, I used to go to the Arizona Fall League. My dad would get a season pass and we'd go to games, maybe 10 people in the <laughs> stands, maybe. Um, I, I had one game where we were sitting behind Omar Garcia Parra, who was watching his brother play in the Fall <laughs> League. And so we got to talk to him And because there's no yeah. one there. And so there's major leaguers in the stands all the time watching the games, whether they're a scout or they're working for an organization. And you can just sit there and talk to them, which is kind of yeah. cool. And so it's, I think for, I don't know, understand how people in Arizona haven't discovered this, that are baseball fans. Cause you're, you had an opportunity to watch some of the top prospects in baseball. Most of them, a good majority of them are going to become future major leaguers at some point. If you look at the Arizona Fall League hall of fame, it's loaded with like Derek Jeter, Jason Giambi. I mean, all mm-hmm. these guys that you can think of. And so, I mean, that's an opportunity to see those guys before they even make it. Yeah. Um, people And MLB doesn't, they don't. They don't put the games on TV. I don't think. Yeah, either. I was just
0: gonna say people get so excited for spring training, Uh and I get it. I mean, it's it's a nice time of year and it's leading into the season. But there's probably a lot more information to glean from the Arizona Fall League than there is from you know one inning uh, of a, an exhibition game in uh, in March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When
3: yeah. I mean, you when I mean, you do say you're wondering why more people. Show up to some of these games. I I will say in, in just the smallest amount of their defense that won't actually make make anyone feel better. Uh, my uh my uncle used to like co own a home near the Reds complex. He his family lived in Canada and so did his buddy. They co owned this home with. So you got to think that a lot of these uh, neighborhoods or are little areas that um a lot of these uh you know complexes are at. A lot of them are like people's winter homes, and it's not quite winter enough in Winnipeg for them to be headed down. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You have know, they just held close. on a little bit longer get through
0: it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely have a lot of snowbirds down <laughs> yeah, there in Arizona. Just <laughs> wait for another month. Yeah, you get a lot more Canadians down there. They they uh, they love their Arizona fall baseball league baseball. <laughs> um, all right, uh, Jared, any last thoughts we are coming up towards the end of our episode, anything that you want to kind of put a fine point on from top to bottom, major league university players, uh, anything at all.
2: Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me since I've started writing is that as we start analyzing people, I just, I think it's always important to remember the human behind the numbers. I think that's something that when I, the more I start to write and the more I get into this, uh, it's. There's a lot of times where the analysis, everybody gets kind of lost in the mm-hmm. numbers and things like that. But it's it's hard to sit back and take a step back and remember that there's a human behind there. So anything that you're saying, anything that you're thinking about, commenting on a player's performance and stuff like that, just remember, there's a chance they're going to read it. Mm-hmm. And there's a chance that it could have some kind of impact on them. And so I think that's the biggest thing that I want to that's the biggest thing I'm trying to have people take away. Um, is when when we're scouting players, when we're analyzing players, just remembering there's there's a whole human side of the game that still exists, even though we've made it through all these advanced metrics. That human side's still there, and it's not going to go away. Yeah. It's still always going to be a major
3: part of the game.
0: Absolutely, Alexander. Uh, oh, it, final thoughts.
3: Oh, and and for the better, you know, it, yeah. it's it's what makes so much of this worth following. Like. Uh, it yeah. was absolutely a joy this year to be able to follow the Orioles despite a lot of their losing because there were just so many spectacular stories that were being told this year, um, whether that's Trey Mancini, you know, returning from cancer or Cedric Mullins just appearing out of the scene out of nowhere, you know, like Ryan Mountcastle, like setting a bunch of rookie, I don't know if likely, likely, but, you know, he was really, really performing well as a rookie. And, like There are a lot of people who maybe like aren't going to be long term pieces on that roster. And you can say that for a lot of other teams who, you know, they're not really in a competitive window either by choice or, you know, just because that's kind of like the way that yeah. the the dominoes have fallen. But, you know, it's because this game isn't played on paper that you can watch people, you know, make that growth and do spectacular things. And, you know, if it weren't for that, we wouldn't want to watch them play 162 games, I imagine, every year.
0: But yeah, you hear a lot of people talking about robo-womps. Nobody's talking about robo-players, right? It wouldn't be nope. any fun. <laughs> I mean, it might be fun in a video game, but uh, it wouldn't be fun. Yeah. You take the human element out of the game, and it really would take the soul of it. And uh, and I think that's the flip side of that is remembering exactly what you you've said, is that these are... These are players, I mean, at 21 year old, 22, 23 year old mm-hmm. humans, I don't know. I, there's a lot of people out there in this world who wouldn't want their life on display as they were making decisions as 21, 22 and 23 year olds. So I know. Yeah, I yeah, most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that does bring us to the end of our episode. Jared, we'll have to have you uh, and Austin back most certainly Um, But if you could just remind people everything Austin said about where they can find Major League University and all that stuff and and plug your own thing and and all the sites that we can find you, your Twitter handle is Handles. Is there more than one? Yeah. Uh, yeah,
2: I have one, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, so for Major League University, uh, as Austin said, MajorLeagueUniversity.com on Twitter, it's University. Facebook, Instagram, also Major League University. That the podcast is Champion School. They have a bunch of interviews with former players, like our former players, current players like John Duplantier, um, Ryan Burr, Aaron Bummer, things like that. So they're they're using those uh messages from different players and athletes and trying to to bring that home and impact some um, younger the younger generation. So and then I'm on Twitter at Jared. CP one number <laughs> you have
0: to one. stop and think about that for a second. <laughs> Not as exciting. <laughs> uh, you do some writing elsewhere too, right? Uh, a lot of people know where they could find some of the stuff that you write and remind them.
2: Yeah. All the Royals stuff I do is on Royals farm report. Um, so, and then a lot of the prospects writing related to fantasy baseball is on the dynasty guru.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you very, very much for joining us. Uh, please pass that back uh, on to, to Austin as good times, long, long conversation that didn't feel like it was long at all uh so yeah, this is yeah, welcome yeah. thank Absolutely. you good night. uh alexander everybody knows where they can find jared and austin could you remind people where they can find us
3: well they can find you on twitter at the corked Mat. i'm on twitter at chase underscore rate and most importantly you can find our podcast on twitter at dugout study hall where you can send us some questions please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me.
0: All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.